0: Welcome to the Wesleyan Podcast. The Wesleyan Podcast, bringing you news and financial tips for doctors, dentists, teachers, and lawyers. Hello, I'm Neil Whelan, and welcome to the Wesleyan Podcast. We're with the investments team this week as they give an update on the latest developments with Brexit and the new Prime Minister, as well as the latest movements and things to look out for in the markets. During the chat, they will talk about investments, the volatility of the stock markets, and the possibilities of things that might happen. The word recommend is even used at one point. That being the case, we need to point out that this podcast is not financial advice and is for information purposes only. Also, we need to stress the value of investments can go down as well as up, which means you may get back less than you invest. And with that, I'll hand you over to James Heaney.
1: So I'm joined by Martin Lawrence, investment manager, manager of the With Profits Fund and Moderate Risk Reward Fund. Well done. Yeah. Thank you, I thank understand. you, I got it right. <laughs> and I'm also joined by Mark O'Sullivan. Now Mark is also one of our firm managers here, he's been here for many, many years, though not quite as long as Martin, I believe. No. Uh,
2: 2003 I joined.
1: And which funds do you manage, Mark? Uh, tell the tell fine people listening.
2: The Pensions management, Fund, the Life management, Fund, the UK Growth Fund and uh, there the an
3: array of others.
1: And I'd have liked to say that I could have remembered all of them, but I thought, no, we'll we'll, we'll go with Mark, and also get to hear his voice as well. I assume it was just a test to make sure
3: we knew James,
1: but whatever. It it, it was just a test. I mean, I could reel all of the funds off, all 56 of them, including the uh, self-select, but we won't go down that route. The important thing we're here to discuss today is um, Brexit. So this is the hot word on everyone's lips we've got a lot of fc's querying and you know clients querying what does all of this mean what's going on in the world but brexit specifically and the uk and i think what we want to do today is address some of those questions and hopefully give some answers that are useful to people so one of the ones that has cropped up quite a few times is what sort of a deal could boris be looking to secure with the eu um, obviously, it's been, there's been a recent change. It's you know no longer Theresa May's tenure. It's over to Boris. So, what do you think this means for a potential deal or lack of one?
3: Yeah, I, I think James. It, uh, as a starting uh, point, when when Boris originally came in, I think we had a view that perhaps he would go to Europe, look for some minor changes, and almost badge this as a um, a fourth vote of Theresa May's original withdrawal agreement. So. Um, go to Europe, secure some some modest amends, come back and get that through Parliament. The big issue was and still is the backstop Uh, and the problem we have with the backstop is almost people are just polar opposites on this and therefore the chance of Boris being able to just do some tweaks and get it through look pretty remote. So what's become apparent most recently is really we've got um, Boris with sort of two plans. His plan A which is to Secure a deal, work out how you resolve this backstop issue, bring it back to Parliament to get it through. Or plan B is to leave without a deal at the end of October. And what then happens beyond that is what we'll come on to. But it looks like he's literally running this twin plan leave with a deal, backstop solved, leave
1: without a deal, end of October, as is currently slated. And there's been quite a lot of coverage in the press around this no deal, leaving with no deal, and the chance for Boris to try and force it through by proroguing Parliament. Now, for everyone out there who is an investments novice or doesn't really understand what that term actually means, can you give a bit more colour to what what it actually means for a start and also what that would mean in terms of the UK constitution or moving forward, what that could potentially mean for, for Brexit and its supporters?
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess proroguing is a technical term for discontinuing a session of Parliament or a legislative assembly without ultimately dissolving it. Um, it again, it polarises opinion. There are a lot of people out there that, that think it's you know would invoke a constitutional crisis. Um, for me, personally, it, lo- it looks a very difficult route for Boris to take. Um, you know, the, the parliamentary arithmetic has been reduced, you know, down to one. I think some of Theresa May's leading cabinet members who are now on the back benches have also said that they would vote against or try and shut down every avenue that, that route. We've got a, a speaker in John Burko that's, you know, very receptive to parliament having it, its voice heard. So I think it, it's very difficult for, for that route. Yeah, There's even a group of MPs and, and peers that are trying a route through the Scottish Law Courts that we'll hear more on, uh, around, I think, September the 6th, who, who are trying to, to shut that route down as well you know, via legal means. So I think it's very difficult. Um, for, for me, Boris Johnson, he's almost been backed into a corner, um, and, and it may be that the general election route or the, or the referendum might be the, the ultimate avenue to, to block the impasse.
1: Mm. And it would be less divisive than proroguing, for example, so because the Queen would have to get roped into that, and there's quite a lot of discussion around whether or not she would or wouldn't. And I think the last time was 1948. Yeah. It's an interesting fact for all our listeners yeah. out there. It so is, it, it is. I mean, it, it's fundamentally,
3: if you were to prorogue Parliament, you are effectively locking them out to prevent them from making decisions. So you would have the situation whereby you have a hard Brexit by default because nobody's allowed inside yeah. the chambers to discuss and, and come up with any form of new deal. So whilst theoretically it could be done, and we're trying to work out exactly how that happens, um, more likely something like um, John Burko would actually step in and say, no, Parliament has to have a say. And then you are down to this this general election, which, which is really you know, the new story um, that's gathering pace, and is looking the most likely in terms of the way forward. Because um, you know, don't forget, fundamentally, why can't we solve this? Why has this gone on so long? Why are we three years on and, and you're know, still no further forward? You have a general public that are almost split into thirds and remain. You have a third who are simply you know strong remainers. You have a third who are strong leavers, and you have a third in the middle who almost can't decide. But that is where you are trying to move people one side or the other to get a majority. So we can sit here and say okay if the original vote was 48-52 to leave, if you were to poll people today then um, there is some reasonable evidence to suggest it actually goes the other way and 52% of the general public would now suggest remaining and 48 would want to leave but the original vote has happened, and therefore it is the the role of Parliament to carry out the wishes of, of the general public. And that's why we are now heading towards this general election route, yeah, we think. of
1: course. And so I suppose for all the listeners who have uh, tuned into this podcast at the moment, one of the key things that they'd like to know as investors with Wesleyan, as our clients, members, customers. Um, What do you think the impact will be on our funds, so in terms of if there is a general election or what's looking more likely now, a no-deal scenario? How does that impact Wesleyan's funds that we offer?
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess the obvious thing as Martin alluded to, if you've got events that are so finely balanced, you know, split into thirds, if if that's the probability or, or that's the that that's the makeup of uh, of Parliament, then f- for me, diversification has to be sort of the you know the optimal route when you face with that level of uncertainty. You know, some of the examples I've given before with the referendum in two thousand sixteen, when you looked at opinion polls, bookmaker odds, strategists all predicting a remain outcome. And if you were a fund that sort of proactively managed around that expected outcome, then you come in the following day having been surprised and you're nursing some you know, some, some pretty hefty losses when, when markets opened and things sort of fell pretty dramatically the, that, that following day. So, so going into uncertain events, whether it's a no deal Brexit, whether it's a general election referendum to the sensible course of action in our mind is to carry on with the diversification where you can, whether that's across asset class sectors. Um, and even geographical
1: yeah, yeah,
3: and this does you know, back it up, which is why we've been around highlighting the fact that we have um, these very diversified portfolios and, and to put some numbers on that, you know the most focused fund uh, that we run would still have probably a hundred lines of investments in it. The most diversified funds that we run, so something like with profits, has got something around six hundred lines of investments now what's the point of that um, That is deliberately designed because, as we've always said, we are long-term investors and this is a short-term story, but I think we'll come back in a while to say this isn't the only and arguably not the biggest story that's in the market at the moment. Um, Because we have this long-term lens, what we're really trying to to run is investment funds uh, that can sail through these kind of choppy waters. Um, without being you know hold below the water line and then sunk these these ships are designed to, to sail through these conditions so we are not saying it won't be bumpy we're not saying that unit prices won't go down but actually it almost suits us to have these periods of volatility because with our long-term hats on that allows us to put more money into markets as they come back at cheaper prices with the ultimate aim of making um, much higher long-term returns for the members and customers. So that that is by design. So whilst we don't wish these sort of troubles on markets, um, we can exploit them. And this is what we've done over the years with various events. Brexit is just the current one on the table.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And kind of linking in with that as well, You know, there's a lot of hype around sterling falling in value against the dollar, against the euro. But actually that can present as many opportunities to you as fund managers um, as it would if it was strong
2: yeah. 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 yeah I mean I mean one of the things I would say that that you know the UK's almost got a perception problem when it comes to something like brexit in in that the, the UK economy, it isn't the the UK stock market. The UK stock market has a vast proportion of earnings and revenues from overseas, whether it's in dollars, yen, um, euro. So one of the things that, you know, a natural benefit of weakness in sterling is you get a positive translation effect for some of those very large multinational companies which earn money overseas. And that that's obviously a benefit to, to the portfolios that we run. Um, I guess on the flip side, if if there is a bounce back in sterling, then you know that gives us opportunities then to deploy cash, you know where where we see see fit in you know whether it's a, a volatile market environment or if there is a you know an improvement in the general macroeconomics of the UK. And
3: no, I think you know currencies is something we clearly think about because whilst we we've, we've had many questions over the years, James, you'll know this about do we hedge currencies, and the answer yeah. is no. Uh, and I might go on later in, into the reasons why we don't, and how we uh, can profit from those sort of um, opportunities, if you like, that we can exploit. We've looked into the numbers and, and where do we think sterling goes? Um, to put some sort of numbers, if you say today the dollar is about 120 to the pound, then in a um, remain scenario or in the resolution of Brexit, so we have clarity, sterling reasonably short order would rise back to say 140 to the dollar if you had a hard Brexit scenario then the talk is it, it falls to 110 and potentially below. The most bearish forecast, or translated, you know, the, the most negative forecast in the market would say that maybe sterling dollar falls to just 90 cents. Now that's quite extreme and I, I don't think I would, would subscribe to that. Um, we fundamentally think that sterling actually will rise, we'll get the other side of this, whatever the outcome. Um, and 140 to the dollar actually, with my longer-term hat on, feels like um, the starting point.
1: And I might be booking a trip to the States. You know, it's been, it's been a while since I've wanted to.
3: Well, th- this is where, you know, the market sort of short-sightedness comes in because you talk about trips to the States. It, was, it wasn't that many years ago when my daughters were younger that we went to the States. Um, and the exchange rate at the time was one ninety. Happy days! Got uh, uh, stocked up uh, on my Tommy Hill figure. And I'd like to think I'm not that old. I mean, maybe I am, but you know, one ninety is not an outrageous suggestion in, in the scheme of things. So, um, but, but, but this is how we do it, and, and maybe I'll, I'll come on to if you want, James, to the you know, explanation of, of how we exploit the currency. We we have this almost like four-stage process. That uh, stage one is we buy the foreign currency actually as sterling strengthened. So to answer a question how could we profit from a rise in sterling? Um, Because as Mark says, that would actually dilute overseas earnings. So how can you profit from a higher sterling? Well, you can use that stronger pound to buy overseas currencies. So if the dollar, um, we joke about 190, but if the dollar rises up through 140 and beyond, we could start buying dollars as an asset class in itself. Then as we find opportunities in the local markets, it could be US stock market, it could be US bond markets to invest those dollars then we can make money from the local investments then stage three we sell out to the local investments and raise the dollars in terms of proceeds then stage four is find an appropriate time exactly where we are now, where the overseas currencies have strengthened, or sterling is weakened depending on your preference, which means we can bring those dollars back into sterling and complete the square if you like. And we've done that recently in terms of we bought dollars many years ago and were wondering what to do with them. We then invested those into US Treasury bonds, which are US government bonds. Those did extremely well We've started to sell and in places have now sold out of the US bonds and recently have been bringing them back into sterling and have made money on on each section, you know, each leg if you like. So, there there are always ways we can do this and this is why it's such a complex world of investments, but with a long-term lens, we think we can
1: do all of the above. I think that four-point summary clearly actually demonstrates what it is that you do because we do get asked quite a lot about hedging and whether we do it with our investments. Um, So hopefully that answers it for anyone that's listening as well. Um, I I think one other thing that was quite keen, the Brexit discussion as well, with this nervousness around a no-deal Brexit coming up and people kind of starting to panic buy and even supermarkets and, and big wholesale brands stockpiling. But I think... One thing that strikes me is that actually it's not as grim a situation as some of the media is portraying. You know, there have been some deals struck, some continuity deals struck with various regions as well. Um, in terms of like an investor's hat on for both of you, what do you kind of see as the next steps that you'd be looking for to kind of have a bit more market confidence, or some signs that you'd be looking for, or some opportunities that are coming off the back of this that you're now looking for and where to invest? Is there anything that you can kind of Give our uh, listeners a bit of color around that.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess, I, I guess the the obvious place at the moment is that the UK looks a little bit detached from the rest of the world from a valuation perspective. Um, now that could be partly Brexit. There's US-China trade wars. So, so there's a, there's a lot of variables out there at the moment. But but the UK stock market, you know, is at a lower rating, and it has a a healthy dividend yield of around four percent versus the rest of. You, you know, the other asset classes out there where we've got bond yields that are, that are far lower than that. So, optically, the UK looks cheap. If we can get some clarity on, on Brexit, then we think that might unlock some of the nervousness from overseas investors who may then look at the UK. Because we see asset, we see asset class surveys, we see manager surveys, and the, the UK is almost a pariah at the moment in terms of, you know, you don't go to the UK because of the Brexit overhang. And we think it's far more nuanced than that. So hopefully, a little bit more lifting of that Brexit haze might bring some overseas investors back into the UK markets, and that will that will help our funds.
3: Yeah, and I'd add to that the the one thing um, we'll repeat ourselves many many times: that the one thing that markets really detest is, is uncertainty. Uh, and it feels at the moment we're almost at uh, you know a moment of peak uncertainty regarding the UK. Um, not just because of, of the Brexit uncertainty that we're talking about, um, but this this also comes down to you know, politically, if this general election comes about and, and the clues we're getting is we're seeing you know, Boris Johnson in the press um, spending money, public sector, so that there's a bit of sort of electioneering going on. If a general election is called, regardless of whether you think this is tactics to get a hard Brexit or not, the uncertainty is there because we actually don't know what the next government or more likely coalition government looks like. Because when we've looked at the um, the arithmetic behind the scenes on, on how you can get to a majority government, you know, what combination you need, then you probably have on the sort of hard Brexit end, you have the Conservatives plus Brexit Party, possibly plus DUP, that might get you somewhere near 50% which would then give you a mandate to do something on everything we've just been discussing. Or on the other side, you can say, well, following the European elections, with the resurgence of the Liberal Democrats, some combination of Labour Liberal Democrats, maybe some independents, might also get you somewhere near 50%. But the point there is, there is no clarity, even with the general election on what happens. So the market does not know, not only what decision is going to be taken, but who is going to be taking it. And that means, as, as Mark's alluded to, these sort of discount valuations that we see on, on UK, particularly domestic exposed investments, means there is opportunity there for these you know, long term investors like us, but it does mean that the market is not going to believe it until it sees it. So, what we need is clarity and almost, um, it doesn't matter as much what that clarity is, i.e. which outcome. So when we're asked exactly which outcome do we think is is going to happen, that's almost a secondary question. We need to know what it is because then you can price against it. So clarity of, if for example you had a hard Brexit, what is the clarity on the deals that you agree with WTO? What are the terms of trade? Who have we signed up? Have we managed to sign up all of the European partners that were effectively part of the existing agreement negotiated by the EU on our behalf and does that mean that the UK is open for business? Because we saw in the recent GDP numbers though uh, you know a negative print in, in Q2 GDP doesn't concern us because actually if you recall Q1 was a positive GDP print because of the stockpiling. So Q2 is effectively just an unwind of, of Q1. So we can deal with that right there. That that wasn't the thing that concerned us. Within the numbers, more of a concern is it's the investment that is lacking. And because there is no business investment going on in the economy, that will remain true until we get some clarity so if they know the terms of trade they know the rules of engagement then you'll start to see the investment taps opened then you'll start to see valuations coming through at the moment it's in the kind of darkest before dawn situation but if we get the other side then um, our aim is to have the funds well positioned to ride up the other side of this it's a long answer, I know, James, but there's a lot of detail in it. No,
1: that. great. It was a fantastic answer. I was just thinking the entire time, though, I need to explain what WTO is. Um, ah. So for anyone listening that isn't sure, that's World Trade Organization. So if we did leave the European Union without a deal, we would refer to um, World Trade Organization trading rules, I believe. My apologies, that's yes. Correct. Feel free yes, to jump in, though, chaps. Yes. You know more about it than I do. Um, so I think with all of this kind of hype, everything going on at the moment, a lot of uncertainty... We've had quite a few people asking, you know, what is the right time to invest? Should I invest? And we can't give advice on that. You know, we can't advise people. It, it depends on their individual circumstances, um, their current financial situation, what they want to save for, and, and what their attitude to risk is. But. I think one of the key things that we've been discussing in our team recently is that you have seen many similar political and economic events throughout history that are quite comparable to Brexit at the moment. Would you say that's true? And and how has that affected your decisions, one, in the past, and two, in terms of how you see things moving forward for, for your strategy for fund management?
2: Yeah, I mean, I'd echo something that Martin said earlier on, you know, times of volatility, choppy waters, these present quite often opportune moments to deploy capital, you know, the the cash that we've built up or or the recipient of dividends and coupons back into the market at those times. And quite often when markets are frothy, as contrarian investors, we're typically doing the opposite. Now, I guess for a retail investor, it's very difficult for them to try and time the market as it is for professional investors. So one of the things that we would Recommend is almost looking at the regular premium route. That way, you can cost average in, you can remove that sort of volatility of trying to time the market and actually spend time in the market over a longer course, and you can ride out those peaks and troughs.
1: Yeah,
3: yeah. I absolutely agree. I mean, um, yes, we do need to be careful because you know, we can't give financial advice for obvious reasons. Um, and it does depend on individual situations, but an observation I can make is when we've looked at the studies on all of the, the situations that you're alluding to over the years, events that the market has faced, um, you tend to find that the biggest up days come almost immediately after the big down days. Now why does that matter? What typically happens as the markets go down investors, and understandably so, get scared and step out of the markets but then they don't return until the seas are calmer. Now, by doing that, there is a risk that they miss out on some of the early big up days, which would ultimately impact their long-term returns. Now, that's not the same as saying that you should remain invested because, it, it would excuse me, it depends on your risk appetite and whether you can actually tolerate that sort of volatility of markets. From our point of view, we're just saying that long-term returns can be made by these pullbacks in markets. So we actually use and exploit those opportunities rather than getting concerned and sitting on the sidelines. So natural-born contrarians, maybe, but uh, we've done this for a few years, and, uh, and and this is our approach to investing. So
1: we plan to continue doing that. You'll be pleased to know. Um, so what are the next Brexit milestones that we're looking for?
2: Yeah, um, I guess we've got the, the return of Parliament scheduled for September the 3rd, um, where parliamentarians will come back and there'll be, you know, you know, get I guess a little bit more clarity in terms of whether there'll be a vote of no confidence against Boris Johnson. We've also got a G7 meeting later in the month where Boris Johnson will, will get to meet the likes of Angela Merkel and Emmanuel Macron, which may help to give a little bit more colour in terms of the backstop. Impasse. Um, we've also got a, a there's a a legal case that's being brought through the Scottish courts um, by seventy members of, of Parliament and peers, which might look at you know tr- trying to stop the suspension of Parliament, i.e. you know prevent Boris Johnson going over that cliff edge without a deal.
3: And you know, without a deal, don't forget that doesn't actually solve anything in itself either because. Um, a hard Brexit doesn't answer the border in Ireland. You know this backstop has still got to be resolved in some way, um, and this is why I think, as Mark says, you know, Parliament returns third um, of September, you've got to expect some pretty serious debates going on because it starts to get real all of a sudden. And in all of the sound bites that we've had from Boris, where you know, the markets have picked up, he's contradicted himself with these do-or-die type statements that Brexit is going to happen. Uh, contrasted with a one in a million chance that we're going to leave without a deal. We've got to find out you know, um, who the real Boris is in terms of uh, what he's actually going to try and deliver. But then even if you go to uh, the general election, you've got to get your head around the timetable there because whilst we're saying negotiations kick off in a big way in September, if a general election is called and won by you know, strong Brexit parties, then A no-deal Brexit is probably likely to happen round about Q1 next year um, because there would be less that would need to be pushed through in terms of legislation. So that would be your timetable. That's pretty much as quick as we can see it happening. If a general election was called, and these are big ifs, um, I grant you, but if a general election was called and it was won by second referendum type parties, then because you've got to address a lot of issues, not least what questions you would ask in a second referendum, then you're talking about... Uh, sort of June at the earlier second referendum and potentially then even remain in the second half of the year. So, we still don't have the clarity to the point earlier that the market's one certainty, but at least we're starting to get a sketch out of what timetables could be. So, in terms of milestones that we're watching, certainly those early negotiations in September will get a, give us a lot of clues, I think, as to what the next steps might be, and then we can update in due course. And that's
0: our show for this week thank you to James, Martin and Mark. To find out more about investing with Wesleyan, you can go to wesleyan.co.uk and look for the investments and savings tab at the top of the screen. To keep up to date with everything else we're up to, you can search for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, find us on Twitter at Wesleyan and on Instagram at Wesleyan underscore UK. We'll be back again soon. So until then, thanks for listening.